A very warm welcome, everyone, to the Alatia Foundation's first in a series of podcasts that seek to address the urgent energy topics of the day with a number of invited expert speakers. My name is Axel Threlfall. I'm editor-at-large at Reuters, and I am delighted to be hosting this first in the podcast series. Now, as I'm sure many of you are aware, the Alatia Foundation is an independent think tank that aims to provide robust and practical knowledge and insight on global energy and sustainable development topics, and of course, communicate those for the benefit of the Foundation's members and community. Before I introduce uh, our guest, let me quickly bring you up to speed with the very latest news, courtesy of Reuters. Another pretty torrid day for oil prices. Uh, no surprises why. Concerns over storage capacity, as well as fears of a slow pickup in post-lockdown demand, uh, both weighing on sentiment. Um, WTI futures hitting a low at uh, $10.07 Tuesday after another big sell-off on Monday. Brent futures down to as low as uh, $18.73. Now, part of that WTI drop due to retail investment vehicles like ETFs selling out of the front month June contract and buying into later months, the U.S. oil uh, fund, the uh, the most high profile to do just that. Uh, separately, LNG prices also still under pressure. Spot prices for North Asia deliveries uh, fell to $195 last week, the first ever sub $2 close. Uh, U.S. natural gas closed last week at uh, $1.75. Uh, above recent lows, but well below its peak at 291 back in November. So that, that is a little bit of context. Let me introduce uh, our guest, Robin Mills. Robin is the CEO of Camar Energy, which he founded in 2015. He is an expert on energy strategy and fuel economics. Uh, he is a distinguished author and scholar who lives in the Middle East and is acknowledged by many as one of the region's leading figures on Middle Eastern energy matters. Robin, uh, many thanks for talking uh, with us today. Um, Clearly, OPEC and OPEC plus agreements to cut output from May and prospects of an economic recovery, albeit a slow one, uh, now that some countries are, are allowing businesses to reopen, is clearly not enough uh, to offset uh, plummeting demand. Um, how long, Robin, do you think demand will stay depressed? And do you buy this idea of a V-shaped recovery? Yes, thank you, Axel. Hello, everyone. So I find the current uh, optimism or, or even perhaps complacency over the, the markets and the progression of this, this virus really quite remarkable. Um, yes, I find these projections of a, of a V-shaped uh, recovery, uh, so you know, an almost instant bounce back in both the economy and in oil demand, I, I find them very hard to see, I must say. Um, the... Uh, we, you know, we're still maybe in some places we're approaching the point of getting to containment of the first wave of the virus. That's about the, the, the best that we can say, perhaps starting to see some places opening up again to a limited extent uh, will. And hopefully that'll be sustainable. But I mean, there's always the danger, of course, that they won't be able to remain open and, uh, and the virus uh, will, will resurge. Um, some promising signs on a vaccine. But, you know, most medical opinion is that, that, that a vaccine is likely to be a, a long way off. And then I think even if we're able to, to contain the, the virus quite quite soon, um, we will still we'll still be dealing with an enormous amount of economic fallout, um, changes in commuting habits, changes in, in travel patterns, 
and then an overhang of, of companies that have gone bankrupt and, and jobs that have been lost. And, uh, and you know, we must say that, that sadly, probably a lot of those jobs will will not come back and uh, sure. it will be a big, a big struggle for European countries and the US and, and others to uh, to come out of that. And that all means, you know, I think for me, lower, lower oil demand in the in the longer term. Yeah. But of course, right now, we li- go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, Robin. So, I mean, right now, of course, we're living in the short term and um, and we're dealing with uh, perhaps 30 million barrels per day of lost demand in April, perhaps a little bit less in May, perhaps only 28 million barrels per day lost um, in the face of an OPEC production cut, um, if it's fully implemented from May, of uh, about seven and a half million barrels per day on on uh, on the levels from the start of the year. So mm-hmm. it's it's something, but uh, to be honest, it's not much more than a drop in the bucket. Yeah, and, and I guess, you know, based on those numbers you've just mentioned, it's basic maths. If if the if the demand drops, what thirty thirty million a day, the cuts are ten. Uh, the prices stay under pressure. H- how long do you think they will stay under pressure for? And is there anything stopping uh, WTI uh, hitting zero again, given the lack of storage? Well, I think you know we haven't even seen the probably the worst of the pressure on the oil price yet, uh, because we still haven't reached this. Uh, this kind of semi-mythical point of full storage, um, which which we seem to be hurtling towards. Um, now, of course, storage like never gets actually full, but we can get to a point that it's practically full and and it's and it's practically full in the key locations, like uh, like the US, like Cushing, like like uh, parts of northwestern Europe, like Korea, um, China, and so on. So get to the point where there's, there's no no space to put all where people really want to put it. Um, and at that point, um, prices can get driven down much, much further to the point that producers just have to leave the market. They can't sell their oil. They can't store it. So they have to shut down production. And we're actually already getting into that phase in, in the US. Um, whether WTI goes negative again this, uh, for this coming month, um, you know, you noted at the start that it's already under, under pressure. Um, I, I think, again, it'll be under a lot of pressure towards the end of the month. Now, whether the the traders are, are perhaps there's some less naive investors in WTI this month around, and they've realised that oh yes, it can go negative. Um, so people will, will, I think, be less inclined to risk the exposure and will try and get it earlier. Mm. And perhaps, perhaps they'll, you know, the the, the, the people who stay in it long term will be those who are capable of taking delivery. So perhaps it won't go negative, but All clearly right. it's going to clearly it's going to come under a lot of pressure yet again because, as we say, storage is getting pretty full. When, when do you think it will run out of storage? I mean, I, you, you say we can't really ever reach full storage. In fact, that it, it's worth mentioning here this uh, a Reuters story I saw today detailing um, how oil traders are hiring uh, expensive U.S. vessels, uh, I think known as the, the Jones, Jones Act vessels, to, to store gasoline. Um, what, Goldman Sachs saying, I think, three weeks from now. What's your take? Yeah, I mean, really, people are scouring the world for, for storage and, you know, Normal times, people run a mile from a Jones Act vessel, which you know, a U.S. built, a U.S. crewed, U.S. registered vessel, which are, you know, which is very expensive. But now, of course, they're looking for anything going, um, yeah, and that's why storage won't completely run out. But what will happen is that prices get depressed so much um, that production has to be shut in. And we already see this. You know, production uh, storage has already reached the level of being effectively full in parts of the onshore U.S. because. Marketers are offering negative prices mm-hmm. uh, to, to, to oil producers, 
just to say we can't take your oil. Then maybe if you pay us something, we can we can try and take it off your hands. Do you do you, I, 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 something else that came out today? Russia's energy minister saying he expects markets to start balancing out I, I, once the output deal takes effect. Do you think? Uh, I mean, what does that mean, balancing out? Do you think that's a little bit too optimistic? Well, I think there's a point of balance at which supply and demand come into uh, uh, rough equilibrium, and of course, OPEC cutting, OPEC, OPEC plus group cutting helps that. Um, but as I say, you know, still you've got seven and a half million of cuts encountering 30 million of, of lost demand. Um, and OK, even if demand is recovering, uh, let's say into May, May, June and so on, um, it's still uh, it's going to be a dramatic recovery before before we get to the point that we're not building stocks anymore. Mm, mm. Um, so yeah, that's that's where we've got to get to being being balanced. And, and balance doesn't mean a, a high oil price. You know, I think this market will balance at a pretty low oil price until there's a substantial rebound in demand. What, what, just shifting focus a little bit, what, what's the future uh, for U.S. shale and the, the oil producers there? Is there, a, is there a chance quite a few of these could go broke? Yes, I think that the outlook is, is extremely tough. So, you know, if you heard Scott Sheffield, he's a, the, uh, runs a Pioneer, it's one of the large shale companies. Um, and he's been saying that there are something like 78 listed U.S. shale producers. You know, he expects that uh, within uh, a year or so that will be down to 10. So he's expecting an enormous number of bankruptcies and, and, and consolidations um, to, to leave us with just a few presumably much, much uh, more solid shale companies. Mm. And we'll see the majors, Exxon, Chevron and others picking up uh, shale assets. But I think we'll see a much, much smaller shale industry. We'll see production decline dramatically. So U.S. shale production drops perhaps 250,000 barrels a day each month without without reinvestment. And of course, investment now at the moment is is dropping sharply. And you would expect uh, if prices are at these levels, we'll, we'll go to close to zero over the next few months. Um, and then so that that's how production would decline if there's no new investment. On top of that is that wells actually being actively closed down because either because there's no storage or because they they can't cover their operating costs. Mm -hmm. So, okay, and, and yes, if prices recover, those wells can be reopened and will produce again in the future. Um, but still, in the short term, we expect most of the bulk of the adjustment in the market that isn't taken by OPEC plus the bulk of that to be made by U.S. shale producers. Sure, sure. And 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 and, and same sort of thing for for Canada. Um, Canada's promised significant cuts. What what about the tar sands? Are they doomed? Uh, again, it's it's a very difficult time for Canada. You know, Canada's a, um, a more or less landlocked producer, of course, sends most of its oil into the US, uh, where, of course, it's now not finding a market or, or storage. Oil sands operating costs are, are high um, and, uh, and, you know, don't, don't justify. I think most of the oil sands producers would be running at negative margins already. They just don't shut in production now because stopping production is expensive and there's a concern about how easily they can restart it. You know, they're injecting steam into the ground and as part of the, the process of recovering the oil. Once you stop that and, and the, the oil goes solid, it's a very difficult process to start it up again. Mm. So, you know, and it's a bit of a game of chicken. You know, all the oil sands guys wait and hope that the, it'll be the other guy who shuts in first. Um, but, but, it, but in the end, of course, uh, several will, will be forced to it. And several of them have already cut production uh, by, by some degree. I'll, I'll come. I'll come back to the big picture, the the big picture oil before we finish, Robin. But I, I, I want to 
um, pick your brain a little bit on LNG and, and, and the gas picture. I, I mentioned LNG prices also uh, still very much under under pressure. What what do you think key producers can expect to see near term? And I guess the big question, I've heard this from a number of people, can, can uh, in light of oil prices trading negative last week, can LNG trade negative? Yeah, I mean, the current environment, we're all ready to think the, the unthinkable. Um, I mean, the LNG industry is is also in a tough position, and it was in a tough position last year, to be honest, even before the the uh, the virus outbreak, because there was already a uh, big oversupply. But this year, we've seen Asian spot prices going below two dollars. Um, that that that's unheard of. And in fact, Asian spot prices and European prices are below U.S. prices. Again, that's an incredible turnaround from the last ten years when when U.S. onshore natural gas was the cheapest in the world. Um, so now you've got a lot of U.S. LNG producers who are faced with the issue of buying very you know, now what is relatively costly gas off the grid and trying to uh, liquefy it and send it to Europe or Asia to get a lower price. Mm. I mean, obviously, obviously that makes no sense at all. That they they continue because they have contractual commitments. Um, but again, of course, that, that they won't keep that up forever. Um, and so I think you know the question: Will LNG go negative? Probably not, because before that. Uh, the U.S. producers and others. You know, we've seen Egypt cutting back. Um, we'll see other. We'll see other countries just just cutting back on on their LNG production because it simply isn't worth it. I mean, you 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 mentioned Robin the uh, U.S. projects. I mean, you know, I, I wonder here in this context what this means for the for the Qatar LNG projects and the the fact that the U.S. is 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 is, is suffering. And presumably, that's relatively good news. But demand is weak in Japan. Demand is weak in China. What do you think specifically for 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 Qatar? Yeah, so Qatar, of course, has got these uh, huge expansion projects uh, underway. They would enter the market uh, if if they go ahead with a reasonable time period. They, they'd enter the market between 2024, 2027. Within that that time period, people expected the market there'd be a market window. I think there'd be more market demand at that time. Now, I think a lot of the U.S. projects and, and other major projects. Um, future projects are not going to go ahead now or certainly not probably not for a long time um so this this in a sense that's positive for qatar as, as the one country that's really committed now to having projects in that time window um it's uh yeah i mean obviously we have to very much look for what's future demand going to be like that depends on the recovery of the world economy mm-hmm. but i think i think if, if lng prices are as low as they are now or at least low-ish for the next few years we'll also see a lot of demand you know it's now it's now again another unprecedented thing. It's now cheaper to burn gas in in much of Asia than it is to burn coal, and of course coal right. is also a, a dirty fuel. So mm. you know, I think we yeah. could, we could see a lot of new demand being created over the next few years. Yeah. Um, look, I, I don't want to. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm keeping a wary eye on the time, and I, I don't want to get too technical here. But one one thing I did want to mention another. This is another Reuters story I saw that hedge funds have been pretty heavy buyers last week of WTI. You know, see, seems they are positioning for some kind of future rally. Uh, there seems to be a focus on NYMEX, uh, on uh, IC WTI. Little the buying in Brent a, a little bit. Um, um, smaller. What does that tell you about where you think we might be going uh, on this price? Um, and, and let me just throw this out there. Do you think um, we'll ever see uh, uh, 2019 levels again? 
Yeah, well, I think, you know, there's, there's a remarkable amount of buoyancy in the stock markets at the moment. You know, you would think this was a, a desperately bad economic situation, which it is. Uh, and yet there's been quite a bounce back in the stock markets. And I think, you know, we see this in oil as well. You know, some some funds that are um, that are, do see an opportunity in the slightly longer term um, and think, think that we've hit the bottom. Um, and of course, there's others who are playing strategies with, with time spreads and, and so on. Um, so that you know, so that has increased the amount of the amount of interest. Um, as, as we suggested at the start of the program, I'm not nearly as optimistic that we've that we've hit the bottom or that or that we're going to see a rapid recovery. Um, but as far as demand goes, you know, there's an enormous amount of demand will be wiped out this year. Um, how much oil demand will come back? Will we ever get back to the 2019 levels of demand? Um, my own feeling is that is that yes, we will, um, but that we are going to see a substantial amount of demand that, that is destroyed uh, permanently mm. and, uh, and a somewhat slow recovery in demand. Because I think, firstly, the, the world economy will have suffered a great shock and there'll be a lot of fallout from that. And secondly, a lot of companies will say, do we really need people to commute to the office every single day? We've sure. tried home, work, home working. It's, you know, it, it was fine and it's cheaper and easier. You know, why don't people work at, work at home half the day, uh, half the week? Um, do, we need to send do we need some people fly, flying around the world all the time? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you're saying, though, this is not peak oil demand now? Then? Uh, I don't think so. No, I think given a few years, you know, given a few years, I think we we will bounce back and we'll probably surpass the 2019 level. Um, but I think it does mean that peak oil demand will be sooner than we would have thought. Mm. You know, we were thinking previously in the mid 2030s. Perhaps it's brought that forward to the to 2030 or the or the late 2020s, and it'll be at a lower level um, than, than we were thinking. All right. Um, Robin, one final question. Um, clearly, this is a challenge uh, for, the, for the Gulf nations. Um, uh, a number of nations, oil producing countries, trying to balance their fiscal budgets at times. Um, just how, I guess, from a political standpoint here, we've talked about the equity markets, talked about oil prices. I've just thrown in balancing budgets. So politically, how challenging could this become? Well, it is a huge challenge for every major oil and gas exporter, for sure. Uh, now, some of them are, their economies are in, uh, entered this in a stronger position and they have large sovereign wealth funds and the, the budget to, uh, the budget to break even price and the uh, and their their um, their current account balance so their trade balance would not too uh, was not not uh, requiring too high oil prices so they'll come through this yes it won't be comfortable they'll have to sell assets and raise debt and so on but they can they can survive um, for some other countries that don't really have much much buffers um, and that also have are in situations of political crisis and conflict already it's extremely damaging and obviously you look at a country like like Iraq. Uh, which is very exposed, um, big big budgetary commitments that are hard to cut, um, not much uh, you know, already substantial debt, not much capacity to borrow more, and in the middle of a political crisis, the third prime ministerial candidate uh, still trying to form a government. So you know, a place like Iraq is in big trouble. Mm. Um, and obviously, we know we can look at some other countries around the world that also have big, big political and economic problems and, uh, and wonder how do they come through this. Um, so it is a, it is extremely uh, an extremely unsettling time. Robin, uh, I am going to stop us there. Many thanks to you uh, for your insights today. Robin Mills, the CEO of Camar Energy. Uh, do watch this space. As I, uh, I said, this is the first in a series of podcasts 
from the Alatia Foundation. Um, the next one is planned for sometime in early May. Many thanks for listening, everyone. I'm Axel Threlfall from Reuters. <laughs>